Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Harry's podcast. This is a special one because today is the first guest on the podcast, James Slater. James is a super talented director who has created videos for artists including Ladytron, The Go Team, The Coral, Blossoms, Sam Fender, Kaiser Chiefs, Bill Ryder-Jones, Circle Waves, Jamie T, White Lies, and you get the point. You get the point aren't a musical act, by the way. That was just me saying. I've said a lot of them, and so you get the point. Although there probably is a band called You Get The Point. Not a good band name, but there probably is one. I have been a James Slater fan for years, and so it was a pleasure to talk to him about his career. I really think you'll get something out of this conversation. I found it inspiring, and I hope you do too. So here's me talking to James Slater. Let's start at the very beginning then. When did you first think, I'm going to be a filmmaker? It just kind of unfolded. I went to university in Liverpool in the mid-90s and I did a course called Media Professional Studies. And it was it was bobbins, really. It was like a, it wasn't a very good course. And uh, first couple of years were a bit all over the place. And then it was only in the final year where this... They replaced all the teachers and uh, got a new head of course that came in called Trevor Long. He recognised that the first two years were a bit of a shambles and he was just like, well, just go and make a film, really. That was it. I think we went and made a... Me and a couple of friends on the course went and made a documentary. And that was my first sort of taste of... Proper taste of filmmaking in a sort of professional sense, you know, where it sort of seemed like, oh, yeah, this could be something. Before that, I'd always sort of messed around with cameras as a kid, borrowing cameras. From, I think, remember my um, high school in Bradford had a VC. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. It's like an old Sony like video camera, big thing. And I remember like borrowing that and making like little films at home. I mean, I originally went to Liverpool, and I, and I was in a band in Liverpool. Right. In the at first, in a band called the High Five. And there were six of us. That sort of took up quite a lot of my time and energy, really. I sort of really took that seriously when I was sort of in my late teens, early 20s. I just wanted to be a musician. I was really focused on that. And, like, you know, we, we, we were quite good, I guess, in that for, for, a, for a short amount of time, you know, in Liverpool. And that, that certainly seemed like the more more sort of likely thing to put all my, my energies towards. But then uh, that didn't really work out. But during that time of being in a band, I'd sort of become acquainted with quite a lot of other people who were in better bands in the Liverpool scene. And, and you know, Liverpool's quite a close-knit city, really. And it's quite easy to sort of network and move around, uh, you know, make connections and get involved in the scene that was going on. And always been a, like, a lot of interesting, exciting artists and musicians that are there, you know. Who were some of the bands then that were coming up when you were transitioning from musician to music video director there was another guy on the course called neil mclean he was similar to me really we were both like making like little silly films and stuff but we were both musicians as well and we in our third year we we made a film together and that did quite well and you know sort of saved our degree really but after university finished, you know, we both of us sort of concentrated just on our own like musical projects for a bit. You know, certainly mine didn't work out as well. I think it continued for a little bit, but like the, my band split up, and then there was other bands at the time. Lady Tron were just starting out. Me and Neil, we decided to join forces and started directing videos for some of the bands that we've become friends with through 
being in bands. So like Lady Tron, we did a video for them. I think it was their it was their first ever single, probably our first ever video. Right. It's, it's called Playgirl. Yeah, you can kind of tell it's our first video. There was another band called Uberman at the time. We, we, we did a few things for them. We got a little office in Liverpool on, on, on Dale Street. It was like part rehearsal room, so we could still like do music. And then we had a little side room where we, we got a little bit of money from the Prince's Trust to, and we got an edit an edit suite in the first version of like Final Cut Pro. It was like Apple Mac and the first version of Final Cut Pro. And that was like a big deal at the time because you, you used to have to hire out an edit suite somewhere. And like, you know, you'd have a day and then you'd like cut, cut your videos on this on this avid suite or whatever it was that they had there suddenly having that, like this desktop editing software final cut really changed everything and um it meant that like you know you could go around with a mini dv and shoot bands and and then like you know refine your editing skills and that's exactly what we did so we sort of slowly transitioned from you know being musician dream to still being involved with music but doing you know we were always the kids with cameras like kind of shooting stuff and that was it really uh we suddenly started making videos for lots of the local bands in liverpool who were getting signed ladytron they had their own label called invicta hi-fi at the time so they eventually went on to like get a big major deal we didn't do any more videos for them after that Uberman, they they were on rough trade yeah we just started picking up very very low budget videos like 200 quid here 500 quid there and we supplemented that by like working in i worked in ask pizza restaurant and neil worked in pizza express at what point did you you saying you were you know you were trying to be in a band and you were your dream was kind of the music at what point did you both get together and go let's 100% focus on the film side when we when we made this documentary film at, at university it got selected for some student film festival and i think it was being shown at the corner house in manchester and some friend of a friend went along to the screening when we were there and she'd just gotten a job working for some like small independent record label in manchester it was a band called mint royale and i can't even remember the name of the video that we did but that would have been our first video. It was like £100, I think we got. And I think that was it, really. I think that was probably the moment where we were like, all right, we're getting paid. On the back of that, we applied for a Prince's Trust grant. We took the plunge to rent this like small office in Prince's Buildings on Dale Street. And it had like a, there was a private detective on one floor. And we were we were next to this private detective's office, but the rest of the rooms were all full of bands. Uberman was in there, and the Coral had just uh, they'd started rehearsing, and they were in there. Zootons were in there. We were sort of right in the middle of it all, really. I think it was more by accident rather than by design. I think it was just because we we wanted we weren't fully ready to sort of like ditch the idea of being musicians. So we got we kind of decided to have a, an office space that was a bit of both. We had like a, a side room with an edit suite in, and then this sort of like rehearsal studio. But then the rehearsal studio just ended up being a place where we'd sometimes film film bands in there. You know, this sounds very sort of natural. You know, like organic almost. When did the more sort of business industry side of side of things come into it? We were, you know, scratching a living. Really, we were just getting like some local bands that had like very small like deals and some independent stuff. And there was like, you know, people offering us five hundred quid here, five hundred quid there. So it's obviously not enough to make a living on. But if we found that we'd be working like four nights a week in a pizza restaurant doing that, and then I think it was going back to kind of piece it together. I think the 
the first sort of semi-decent job that we got from a band of a deal with that was that that probably would have been Ladytron. We've probably done about ten videos, just like you know, just for for mates bands and stuff like that, you know, local bands and and whatnot. And then it was Ladytron, and I think that was a point where we thought, right, yeah, let's leave our jobs and we'll just concentrate on this full time. We concentrated on that full time. We started working from Neil's cousin's house. He had a big house on Oak Street in Liverpool and we took a, a room there for free. So that cut down our costs. So we, we ditched the music thing. We were just doing that full time. And then we were just skint. We were really, really, really skint. And it was quite miserable, really. It was like, you know, hand to mouth existence. And we probably should have packed it in. And we would have packed it in if it weren't for, it was in 2003. Neil came round to my house one morning and he sort of seemed to have a bit of a spring in his step and he said that Alan Wills had come round the night before, knocked on his door and said, are you you and James still doing videos? And he's like, yeah. He said, well, can you do a video like literally tomorrow for this band called The Basement? And he had £700. And then we were like, yeah, okay, you know, we'll do that. And that sort of like, because <laughs> we were literally going to pack it in. Wow. I think we'd had a we'd had a conversation about, oh, let's just, and I remember Neil saying, oh, maybe I'll just try and get a job as an editor in London or something like that. I remember, remember that conversation happening. And I was feeling a little bit lost as to what to do. And then, yeah, he came round and it was like, yeah, okay. Um, and so we did that. And we went off and shot this simple performance video. It's a song called Medicine Day. The basement was signed to Sony. Delta Sonic, had, had, on the back of signing the Coral, they'd kind of gotten this deal with with Sony, which meant that Delta Sonic like, owned 51% of the company. Sony owned like 49% of it. And it was from there, really, that it all changed. So suddenly we were like, we made this like video for the basement that got sent off to Sony and, and you know, we had to deliver it to them. And it, it suddenly got into this kind of, big sort of professional world then and then from doing that job for the basement alan i think probably about two or three days after finishing that he brought the coral round and the coral were just about to release their second album or they were they were touring the first album and they just they just started recording the second album and they were ready to do the first single to come off the second album called don't think you're the first they'd had a, a, a director lined up to do it but i think they decided against going with him they wanted to kind of go a sort of more lo-fi route with it, really, rather than go for like a big music video with all the kind of, you know, bells and whistles. So we, we were like the perfect people to make lo-fi videos because that's all we knew how to do, really. We were just still shooting on mini DV cameras and some Super 8 here and there and like, you know, very much a kind of bedroom production. You know, it was all like handmade. And, and yeah, so we just got this opportunity to make this video for the Coral. It was shot on a mini dv we, we we stopped off on the way to the shoot to um to buy a plank of wood and some masking tape and that was our steady cam gaffer tape and, and a plank of wood and that was a steady cam and we, and we had a super eight camera and a mini dv camera and we just went to coldy woods met them there and um we shot the video in two two hours i think like not even exaggerate. I think it was two hours long. So you hadn't shot it. anything. You hadn't shot anything with the coral. No, that was the first video that we did for them. And did you? So did you know them beforehand because of the band? No. All oh, right, not at all. No, we we they, we knew Alan 
we, we knew Alan beforehand. That completely changed everything. So suddenly, we did Don't Think You're the First, and that was it. We were then doing all the videos for the Delta Sonic acts. We were, like, you know, going down to London and, and you know, meeting up with the commissioners there. And from, from nearly packing it in, in January, in April and May, we were flown off to L.A. and we went and shot Pass It On on a Super 8 cameras in um, the Mojave Desert. That was a magical experience. It was, it was really, really quick, really brilliant. And we were just in it then. From that point onwards, when we started getting all this work from the, the Coral, we learnt really fast. And we, we made in that video, sorry, in that year, we probably made about 20 plus videos. Wow. And we were producing it all and we were, you know, uh, editing it all. And, and so, you know, we were, the budgets weren't massive, but we were still like uh, suddenly making a decent living on it. You know, we set up a limited company. Originally, embarrassingly enough, we were called Another Rising Star Experience because it was an acronym for arse and then like a sort of six form joke. And then, and then we changed it to Good Times. And we became Good Times, and that was our director's name, Good Times. It's interesting. You said you did ten videos, and then you were like, "You know what? We're thinking of packing this, packing this in." Over what time period was the the, ten, the first ten? I mean, I'm saying I'm saying ten. It's you know approximately. I mean, it was so that would have been probably like 2001, end of 2002. That was when we, me and Neil, like were really sort of focusing on giving it a go and it not really working. So we gave it a go for a good like eighteen months, you know, maybe even two years. And this stuff, you're not even you're not even pitching on you really. This is just like look and and who gets word of mouth and stuff like that. You're not really into like the pitching side of things yet, are you? I had no idea, no no concept at all about how pitching worked. Neither of us did. We we just hustled for it, like on a local level in Liverpool. It was all word of mouth, and then the the the, the job with the coral was literally directly through Alan. And Alan was a brilliant, brilliant man. You know, um, he was such a force of nature, and he the the label were that you know Sony were wanting treatments and all that stuff and he was like no you don't need to write him any treatments you know just i'll tell him we're just going to shoot it in the wood and they get what they get and it was like that really he was really really backed us he was such um such a you know a great guy and and it, you know without alan really i don't think i you know who knows but it, it certainly would have taken a lot longer for me to get to where you know where i got to yeah with the coral videos how much of it was your idea and their idea and because obviously their sense of style the first uh, the first video that we did don't think you the first was very much ian the drummer ian ian skelly the drummer he's you know he do, does all the artwork and he's got you know a very clear idea of stuff and he came round to ours before it and he was just talking about all these different references that we all liked anyway you know and he wanted it to be shot in coldy woods and yeah we just sort of I think it was more the fact that we understood, we got it, you know what I mean? It was like, that was it. And such an important aspect of what you do is just sharing that, like, understanding the world, having a sort of shared sense of a world, really. And then that's what happened with, with us and the coral, really. We were on the sort of same wavelength and understood. As much knowing, like, what you know, what they don't want as what they do want a lot of the time. With a band like the coral, who was sort of very switched on band, I think when they were working with us, it was almost like they wanted to kind of take a little bit of a step back. The, the trajectory for them after the first album was probably to go really big. You know, that's where the label were probably looking at it. And then... Um, the second album, Magic and Medicines, kind of 
really rootsy album and like quite a lot of like kind of folksy influences coming into it you know uh, like Liza and Pass It On it enabled them like to kind of sort of not put the brakes on but just kind of make it a bit more intimate like more homemade feel I guess retain that so that's where that's what happened with with us from a video perspective we were able to kind of utilize the stuff that we'd always been using you know the the mini dv handmade like kind of punky videos that we used to do just kind of applying that with a band that had a like a big reach so and that was really fun sort of putting um these kind of DIY videos out there on, and they'd be played on MTV like next to huge budget videos and it was it was always great to see that you know I always used to get a bit of a kick from seeing these like little mini DV videos like next to these big ones but yeah and then going off to the states and doing all that stuff and, and that's when we started learning how to pitch and, and do right treatments and stuff because then suddenly we had other labels and other bands that had you know bigger budgets and then we'd suddenly have to write ideas down and so we started doing videos for the beautiful south because they had the same management company as the coral and everything sort of networked for a while like that really it's like you, you know they would know somebody would know somebody and it's just the leaps you made were bigger and then we employed a girl called Kate. She was from a fine art background and she was a painter, really creative, really creative person. And initially she just came on more of like a kind of admin admin role, really. But then we were like, oh, fucking hell, she's really talented. And, and then I remember when the Coral's third album came out, just had this idea to print out film sequences, print them on paper and then like paint on them. I did a little test. And then that that looked quite cool. And then Kate, you know, she was perfect for that. So you got a team of painters together and helped bring that to life. Someone would paint the sky blue and the next person would paint the grass green and like blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the line, it would get hung up on a washing line and somebody would put a hairdryer on it. And then that would get sent upstairs. And then we'd take a photograph of that. And then we'd edit it together upstairs. Yeah. Sounds amazing. We were still keeping it very much like a cottage industry. We weren't ready to sort of step up into um, as being like, you know, just directors working for a production company. We still like the idea of like keeping it all in house, really. And then we did video for the Go Team, Lady Flash. Again, that was like really mixed media, a lot of collage involved in that. I was really in- into collage and putting things out in Photoshop frame by frame and then layering that with some of the hand-drawn stuff that um, that Kate had done mixed with some of the stuff that Neil do. And it was, like, really, really collaborative. We all worked together really well. But at the same time, you know, so this was, like, taking us up to about 2006. And I think that's when sort of came to a, a natural end with Neil and I working together. We've been doing it for years and years now, you know, having met at university as well. Neil moved to America, falling in love with this... Um, American woman and like you know uh, who we met in Liverpool and they moved off to America and lived over there and like yeah that kind of came to a natural end with that. Coral's third album came out and did the video for In the Morning which is this sort of like hand-painted video frame by frame printed it out frame by frame and then painted on it and the song was a very big hit and the video got like a lot of exposure and we got approached by a company in London called Draw Pictures who were, yeah, small music video production company. They were small, but they were doing big. They did like, Oasis videos and fairly big bands and whatnot. And that was brilliant. So we got we got signed to them. And that's when we suddenly had to start pitching for jobs and learning how to do that. How did that feel going from sort of scrappy DIY to then, oh, I've got to pitch these professional things and they've got to have visuals maybe with in a document or 
How did that feel? It was daunting, you know, from a lot of different perspectives, really. Even though, like, I'd done me, me, done this course, media professional studies, we'd only, like, really had the end year where we were actually shooting anything. So in terms of, like, the professional side of my profession, none of us were that schooled in it, really. We'd not, we'd not, you know, we weren't scholars of film. You know, we knew, you know, we, we, we watched a lot of films and we, we loved making films, but like in terms of commanding a set and directing a set and knowing all the lingo and, and all that, yeah, didn't, didn't know, didn't know any of it. So suddenly, you know, you're shooting these videos down big studios and you've got a DOP working with gaffers and, and all that stuff and grips and, and whatnot. And you haven't a clue what to say. I didn't even know how to like, you know, say action. Properly, you know, like turnover and like, you know, yeah. like whatever, all that kind of stuff. I remember really fretting about that. I didn't want to admit to the producer that I didn't know, you know, all these things. <laughs> it was like, I remember just being really, really nervous about it. And then you, but then like, none of that stuff matters really. No, it matters to an extent. So yeah, that was, that was really, that was, that was, so that was 2005, you know, 15 years ago. But by, by that point, you'd done. You'd done quite a lot of music videos, though, by that point, hadn't you? You said you so. Yeah, done a few, but I mean, they weren't. There was a few really nice pieces that we'd done for sure, but they were very lo-fi, so they weren't turning heads from a like you know. I mean, maybe maybe had some nice ideas in them and all that stuff, but um, it was only really when yeah when we started doing stuff for the Coral and things changed a bit. We started working with the Go Team and Lady Flash. It was quite a successful video for us at the time as well because that got a bit of attention. And again, that was a really good collaboration because it said people on the same wavelength and who shared the same interests, like visual references and all that. We we were into the same things and that really helped. And then Neil left to go to America and then it was just me and Kate. And me and Kate continued for a while. Me and Kate did, you know, we did like a Kaiser Chiefs video that was, was a, Never miss a beat. That was quite a big one. Probably the biggest one that we did together. That was like a 60 grand budget, I think, I think it was. Two-day shoot and loads of kids and big, you know, sort of location moves and things like that. And that, that was exciting. And then shortly after that, I moved to um, Berlin. I moved to Berlin in 2008. And then that brought a, like a kind of natural end to me and Kate working together. And that's when I really just started directing under my own name then. Not, none of us fell out or anything like that. It was just like a kind of natural yeah. drift. If we can go back to just the pitching aspect, because I wanted to talk a little bit about, I didn't want to get massively detailed into it, but for anyone listening who has no experience of this, when you went from sort of DIY to then you had, well, I guess, what would you call it? You, you had an agency, you had an agent. When we made In The Morning, that's when this company, Draw Pictures, who were, yeah, part production company, part director's agent. It was like a one-stop shop, really, in that regard. I don't know anything about this. So presumably they've got directors on the on the roster and then an idea comes in or a, a job comes in. And then are you all allowed to pitch on it or do they pick two or three directors that fit the bill? So in music videos, you'll have like the labels will often have a, an in-house commissioner but sometimes you have like freelance commissioners as well, you know, that work for labels that don't have in-house commissioners. The commissioner's job basically is to sort of fill, like speak to the band, filter like what it is that they want, you know, from the video and then decide which directors and production companies they want to approach. So they'll kind of have a few directors on their radar and then approach them. Often when you're in a 
production company, yeah, you won't you won't work on you know you won't be pitching on stuff that other directors are pitching on because like the commissioner has not asked you specifically to write on it. But then sometimes like your agent might just sort of let you have a, a go at it and say that listen, you know, there's a few people writing on it, but why not? And then then it might be that you're the sort of outlier. The band don't like any of the ideas, but they say, oh, there's this one at the bottom of the pile that I don't think you like. And they go, oh, yeah, actually, you like that. You know, that happened a few times too. So, yeah, yeah. Normally, you, you get earmarked. But when we first got signed, we were, like, bottom of the ladder, really. But again, like, you know, it helped It helped having all the choral stuff because them being, like, you know, uh, perceived as being a cool band, you know, with a strong, like, identity and image and all that stuff, like, yeah, that was attractive to other bands too, really. I think that's why we ended up doing a Kaiser Chiefs thing. I remember they, they seemed to quite like some of the old choral stuff. Yeah, yeah, that, so that helped in that regard. Were you living in London at this point? or Never lived in London until now, but I lived, so we were still living in Liverpool and we'd just come down. So, so you know, Liverpool was fairly cheap rent-wise and it enabled us to, you know, still to make a sort of, a decent-ish living. We, we were struggling still. We started struggling again once we once we signed to a production company because we weren't producing anymore. We were just directors sharing directors' fees between you know initially three people and then then when Neil left, it was just between the two, so that was a bit easier. So, how many videos did you make with just you and Kate before you went to Berlin? I don't know really. Maybe ten or so. Yeah. Right. And was that sort of uh, how many of them was through pitching? Did you have like a high strike? All stri- of them were pitching, yeah, right, yeah, okay. yeah. All of them were pitching, yeah. At that point, we're pitching. It's sort of um, I don't know whether it's, there's an industry standard to it, really, because I've always, I mean, like I've seen other people's treatments, and often they're like now they'll be doing on something like Keynote, and you'll have like you know a, a really sort of shiny PDF full of like really good um, video ref- uh, image references and, and all that stuff. But what I always used to do, and I still do to this day, is I do video treatments. I'll either do like a little some test shots, which will be like you know maybe me and a mate kind of acting out a sequence, or you know if there's something conceptual in it that I can film, then I'll film it, you know, as a rough, and then put that in with the, to the track with some title cards explaining, you know, this will be the first shot, this will be the second shot, or I'll I'll know some really really strong references from movies or um, other videos or theatre productions or cartoons or whatever, you know, there might be something in there, like a shot or a movement that I like that I'll rip and then I'll put that to the to the track again. Right. Title cards really explaining it and then then I'll put colour references in there. If there's a location in mind that I'd like to shoot on, I think, you know, an idea it be built around a space, then I'd, if possible, go in and, and do a recce and include that in there too and then and i've I found that that far greater strike rate of success yeah when you when you send a video treatment over just a lot it's a visual medium anyway and like a lot of these people like you know i used to always get told that when i did written treatments to um make them less wordy because people just don't have that patience you know you've got like piles of treatments to read through just try and make the idea as clear as you can and as succinct as you can you know I think that's what's happening in the narrative world a bit more as well. I mean, sometimes you see these elaborate treatments and pitches and they're kind of intimidating. You're like, Jesus, they're like 30 pages long and they go through everything. So you do you do that every time, do you? Yeah, yeah. Now I, 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 do, I do treatments. I mean, some years I'll do like 50 treatments in a year, you know. Wow. 
I'll be doing one a week sometimes, you know, because I enjoy the process of it. I yeah. actually enjoy that. And I enjoy, like, I see it as work, really. I've always, like, seen what I do as, as a job. I enjoy getting up in the morning and working a working day through it, really. Pitching is, like... It's an exercise as much as anything. I do work, I work on my own projects and my own ideas and film ideas, documentary projects and whatnot all the time anyway. I found pitching really useful in the fact that it just gets you thinking outside of that area that you're focusing on and you're kind of looking at different ideas and different references and you're having to come up with an approach that you probably would not have come up with before if it weren't for this particular problem that this, this song has posed for you I, I never really turn my nose up at tracks or genres or artists or anything like that because essentially it is all just like problem solving isn't it it's like you know here's the track how can i make this intro how can i make this work you know i've always found that really exciting and interesting so you said then 50 50 treatments are they Sometimes. all are they all this year things... obviously like three three yeah, four yeah. are they all things that they you're kind of penciled for or like earmarked for or are some of them just total shots in the dark uh some of them are yeah i mean it's more and more i get more now where it's like oh is, is james available for this you know i'll get more of that now for I, sure and you still have but... to do a a video sort of pitch for that even though they like you and they want you um there's a couple of things where it's like well i won't do that yeah yeah sometimes you don't need to do it sometimes you can just like sometimes you just need to give them an image years ago when i used to get really really stuck one way i'd always try and get around being stuck with an idea is like this kind of random synergies thing where you just sort of play a track and like randomly play a you know a, a section of a film to it or a, you know just put some strange youtube clip next to it or whatever it can just spark something there might just be something in that that is you would never have ever come up with and you know i always used to sort of do that as an exercise and i think that's probably why i ended up then doing the the video treatment stuff because it was, it was probably more of a symptom of me being a little bit stuck on occasion with what to do when, when you do the video pitch and you send it in who actually decides is it the commissioner with the band or does the obviously the band it's a mixture of everybody really so the commissioner right. would probably like they will filter out ideas and then send them what they feel are the best ones onto the band i'd imagine it's a mixture really harry it's like a mixture of speaking directly to bands and going through commissioners so when you get a song now let's say you got a song tomorrow or maybe we can do an example of say the last couple of days i've had the joy of watching about 20 of your music videos the one that really makes me smile and it's it's really simple but it's a great idea your sam fender video with matt king in talk, oh yeah talk me through sort of you get that song and then where, yeah. where does that idea come from the Sam Fender video was very much a clear brief from the band, but it had like some from Sam Fender, and it but it had some like caveats really that probably came from the management, the label, and that was that he wanted the video to be set in a working man's club, but it, the brief was for it not to be not to feel too British. They didn't want it to be too stereotypically, you know, yeah. uh, you know, of, of a sort of a northern British theme. They'd just done a video before it, great video. Borders, I think it's called. It's very much in that world. And I think they were like, can we do something that's a little bit more indefinable? So that's an example of me being given a very sort of clear brief and like working on working out how to do it and then yeah that was very much a conversation all the way through i think we went matt king was one of the first people we approached for it and he was well up for it the thing that i brought to that was the concept of this guy dancing and you follow this guy through it and it's not just about the band performing it's kind of watching like this guy kind of move through this space 
and then through like into this sort of like nighttime world outside and then and then back you know it's just kind of very much about that where did the nice idea of because i like it because it's just the, the the visual storytelling of it of he's been cancelled yeah you know he's meant to perform and he's not now and then him going around and then we see sam fender at different places where did where did that spark from sort of you is that just you listening to the track going oh that'd be cool or that'd be cool yeah very much like the lyrics are kind of the lyrics are super strong in terms of story with that song so i think it just really worked back you know i had the idea of it being this kind of guy with like nothing left to lose that fuck it i'll just dance no one else is dancing but i'll just go for it on my own no shame just gonna stick myself out there and that was it then it was like why you know what's his motivation and then just have that little gag at the start when you have somebody like matt king in a a music video and presumably you'd not met him before yeah what what's the conversation like there do you get on the phone to him beforehand or is it an email we met we met up for him with a coffee for for a coffee beforehand and showed him all the references and he was really immediately really excited by it and really really keen to be involved in it yeah he's a good performer he sort of brought a lot to it He's a really nice guy. Yeah. Had a really, really great choreographer on board as well called Daisy who did like, she was really good with him, I think, making him really comfortable with, you know, he's he's not a dancer. So he's never done anything like that before. And, you know, he's there in a room full of people all glaring at him and he's got to carry the video. It must be quite nerve wracking, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, he did well not to show that too much. You know, a lot of that was down to the choreographer sort of really understanding that and like getting a, a really good routine together that so sort of he was able to do, but sort of like, you know, it's got a lot of story in that as well. And that's a really big collaborative effort on a shoot like that because you've got, you know, you've got a lot of extras from the choreography to the art department. The whole place was like dressed to, you know, transform because the brief was they didn't want it to be stuck in that kind of working class working men's club thing you know doubt the casting as well having quite a lot of fun with that with the costumes and the characters so i always enjoyed that i think matt king absolutely nails it i think he's yeah he's really good in it yeah i think i don't know whether it's just him but i doubt it is just him but that it just makes me smile that video oh that's good yeah yeah i've not not seen it for a while so sometimes you get on like a a treadmill where you're just like you're making the videos so much and you finish them and then you don't really see them for a while yeah it's exactly that yeah you sort of what what if you're happy with them you might like once you finish it watch it over and over again for about three or four times maybe more just in that in a short burst again and again and then like then just you won't you won't see it again for years i watched something i did recently the other night i showed a friend of mine this, this old doc and then i suddenly realized there's like quite a lot of translation in it and I was wow, bloody hell! There's this, there's about seven spelling mistakes. There was a, a a random frame that shouldn't have been in there. There's like loads of things that I'd never spotted before. I was like, maybe quite depressed. That's all you end up doing when you kind of watch stuff back that you've shot. Is it just becomes like a, it's like a checklist of fa- failures, <laughs> things that you didn't get quite right. It can be like that. It's, a, it's hard to see see past that. Yeah, I I always think that you know when people act surprised when Johnny Depp says he doesn't watch his films back or. I know Woody Allen doesn't watch his films back, but it's like, I feel like that's the normal thing because if you were constantly watching your stuff back, then that's just kind of, it's a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, I find it difficult and I think most filmmakers, I don't think I've ever met a filmmaker who's like, yeah, I, I watch my work regularly. Um, no, it just, it just no. doesn't seem right. No, exactly. I mean, and you've, yeah, you've, by the time you've done it through the edit, and you, I mean, you've seen it more than even the most committed fan would ever, would ever see it. I'm sure I'll single out more videos, but the other one I wanted to talk about because I, I buzzed off it was the, the Circle Waves one. 
that even you have a little cameo at the end. Oh, the fire that burns one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just the, that that it's that Gallo Italian thing, the Italian B movie vibe, isn't it? Yeah, that's quite fun. Yeah, that was a big effort because it was quite a lot in one day. That was all one day. Yeah, Sam Fender was a day and a half. We did the exterior stuff. We did two shots the day after. That was it. But yeah, in the main, it's like most of them are just one day, one brutal day. You feel exhausted after you've done them. Like feels like you, you know you've run a marathon or like you know recovering from the flu or you feel rotten the next day. Has that changed over the years? The the fact that you've got to do it in one day is that sort of a result of budgets getting tighter and stuff like that? Because I think I mean I've not I've 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 only done a few videos where it's where it's stretched over two days. Once you get into sort of the, the, you know the real mega mega budgets and that, then yeah, you, you can spend days on them, can't you? you know, I'm sure these Katy Perry ones and whatnot, they, they, they won't be done in a day. No. But no, I've not had that luxury, really. As I said, I've done I've done a few over, stretched over a couple of days, but in the main, it's just one, one brutal day. And you spend all the time just sort of chasing time, really, with a dry mouth, trying not to panic. It's very, very. It can be can be quite stressful because you just there's nothing you can do because every every department needs its own amount of time to get things that you've said that you wanted doing done. Normally at the start of the day, that's the most painstaking bit. This interminable wait for the first shot. I find that quite quite nerve wracking sometimes. Cause you're like, oh shit, you know, maybe I've tried to pack too many things in. Right. Sometimes you end up losing shots, and you know, it's always good to have a wish list. Desire is to get these like forty odd. 50 shots done or whatever in the day or however many it is but i can still make it work with x amount or a lot of the time it's just problem solving you know on your feet you're thinking right if i can't do this in this you know if there's a if there's a move to another room you know for example if you were shooting in a house but you've run out of time it's like oh what can i do that i was going to do in here instead of going there or whatever you end up just doing little things like that i'm not a very dogmatic director i don't like crack the whip and i don't lose my rag really i don't mean i don't care anything like that i just really find it key for me to just make it as collaborative as possible i really like that process i like working with people getting them as involved as possible on the shoot and even prior to it i will um send documents out to as many different people as possible you know prior to a shoot whether that be like the video thing that i've done or i might do uh, if i've done a recce i'll do like a, a location document often a film you know so i can show you roughly where we're going to be you know in this room at what part of the song and make people feel as familiar with with what you're wanting to achieve and so i do a lot of pre- Prep. that's my thing really I, I do a lot of prep and you know I, I you know I've done stuff where I don't have the time to do prep you know and and it's fine but like I, yeah I do try and prepare as much as possible I think that is the most important element of of what I do really and what's the time frame like on that I mean sometimes it can be like a week from getting green lit and then you know you might find out on on the Friday you shoot the following Friday I've had a couple of occasions where it's been like two days wow and I've had a couple of occasions where it's been two weeks. I've, I've very rarely has it's been been any more than that. When I see your videos, you know, obviously having the fortune of working with you a couple of times, I get I get the sense that you you have done a lot of work and you've got it all in your head. And yeah. when you say there isn't that much prep time, that kind of blows my mind because when I look at something like Blossom's the girlfriend video, that seemed so, especially with the makeup and and the locations and the, how how much time was that? How much prep was that? That was, I think, I think that was two weeks prep on that one because I went up. But in that two weeks, I also shot another video that I had three days prep for. I shot a video in Preston bus station, and then I drove from Preston up to Morecambe, wrecked Morecambe. 
stayed in um, Bradford at my folks for for a few days and then went back to Markham and shot it. That's how that works. But with that video, I mean, like, you know, there's, it's all natural light and it's not, you know, it's all about the locations and the story and it's fairly simple in terms of the storytelling. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, there's not, there's nothing too complex there, really. How much work is in the post side? Do you still edit a lot of your music videos? Um, yeah, yeah, it's half and half, really. It's, it's always better to get somebody else to that you trust to edit your videos, especially if there's a lot of uh, transcoding involved and and all that stuff. And then it's always best to just get somebody on that, and then like they can get cracking that that night, really, or straight away the next morning, and then you can come back in a couple of days later to the edit, and or the, you know day after that. And, have a little bit of a distance always helps yeah and then what's the feedback like to you when the video gets sent painful. off painful I, right okay <laughs> it's always it's always painful yeah feedback is painful on occasion there's been a couple of occasions where i've, I've sent something off and it's just been signed off and it's like yeah great fantastic no changes they are extremely rare extremely rare right often the the, the lower the budget the more feedback you get it's crazy really but, you know, that generally seems to be the way. I've had some videos that have been canned where it's just... And you can tell that. You can tell when that's happening a mile off. <laughs> you just go, oh, no. There's often a really, really big gap between when you've sent the video out to hearing anything back. And then you're like, oh, dear. And then, then when you get the notes back and it's like, can we try? And the things that we want to try are things that you've not shot. Yeah. You're just like, oh, right, okay. It's not like, oh, lose that shot of person putting the hand in the hair there and, you know, the singer's got his tongue out there. It's like some of, some of the changes can be quite conceptual and then you're like, oh, no. Then you go through the painful process of having to sit on a job that you know is just going to get cancelled anyway. So luckily that's only happened a couple of times, but it's horrible when it happens. What are some of the most common, without naming specifics, what are some of the most common feedback things where you go, ah, right, okay. Edit-wise, it's often energy. needs more energy. I think I have heard this one where it can it feel more black and white but in colour. I remember somebody saying that once. I've had I've had some funny ones, really. But then again, I think if it were me, I said some stupid things too. You know, when I'm trying to kind of put my ideas across of what I want, and a lot of the time it's just down to an artist not particularly feeling too comfortable with how they look in a shot, and I totally understand that. I mean, often often it makes it better as well. I have to admit, sometimes the changes really make it better. Have you ever had it where? Because I think with a music video as well, sometimes they feel it's got to be kind of personal for you in a way, or you've got to have some sort of skin in the game, but then it's also got to be right for the artist and then it's got to be right for the label. Have you ever had projects where it doesn't feel like it's for you at all? You just kind of, you're shooting it and it's their idea and it's... Yeah, a, few, a couple of times and then you realise you probably shouldn't have taken it on. There's been a couple of occasions where I've written an idea and I've submitted it and then there's been slight nagging doubt in my mind about the idea and I'd be like, oh, it doesn't matter, I won't get that anyway, you know, and then... <laughs> And then you get it and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. That's happened one or two times and I'm just like, ah. Oh. And then it's too late. Yeah, often, sometimes it's just, oh, what was I worrying about? It's fine. But there's other times the things that you were worrying about, you know, really kind of rear the head. In terms of working with different artists and different budgets, do you think that ever changes your process? So, for example, if you were to compare something you do for like Bill Ryder-Jones, who's obviously, he's a friend of yours, and, and one one of my favourite videos that you've done is Wild Roses because I just think it's such a great, simple idea and it makes me smile the whole way through. Yeah. Um, and I love the song as well. I think the song's great. Yeah, it's a great song, yeah. 
How is that different to a band that maybe you're meeting for the first time? It's got a bit more of a budget. Is is your process sort of similar throughout? Yeah, it is similar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's similar in terms of effort with Wild Roses video. Is that it's hard to say really. I mean, I know most of the people in the video, <laughs> like in the in the football team and yeah. and all that. Um, yeah, I still put a treatment together for it and did that. Certainly for Two to Birkenhead, I've done quite a lot of prep for that before. I mean, I know the High Lake and the West Kirby and all those areas well anyway, but I still done a lot of recceing for that and like really sort of piece that together beforehand you could put a lot of people at ease as, as if you can go into a situation and just know exactly what it is you want to get out of somebody i guess as well with a friend like bill you've do you've known probably 15 plus years you probably feel a level of pressure of like well this better be bloody good because you know it's my mate's new video rather than the other way of yeah i'm just yeah, gonna yeah, turn yeah. up and see what happens is it mick power's dad who scores the winning goal about, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's brilliant, and and the look he gives. He's, at the a, end. he's a really good footballer. Right. He, he, he's he's really good. I think he's he's he, that's it. That's who he is. Right, <laughs> he's just playing himself. Now I'm I'm going to do the only good segue in this yeah. whole podcast because I want I want to talk a little about Nick because I know we focused on music video stuff. I want to talk a little bit about there are other forces and oh yeah and essentially how that came about the short film that you did off Nick's poetry. I just approached Nick. And said, um, should make a film of uh, one of your poems. Yeah, of There Are Other Forces in, in particular. That was just me. I had 12 rolls of 16mm film and my old Bolex. I got an old wind-up 16mm Bolex camera. I shot a music video for Youngblood in Liverpool the day before. And then I just kept the crew up from that, rolled them over. on, uh, And then we just shot that film over two days on the Wirral. Just a nice sort of piece really it's just it's a very simple piece it's a very unique short film in that if somebody asked me to pitch it to someone else i wouldn't i'd just press play that's probably the best thing to do um and i think it's i like the fact that for you as a director who's making music videos all the time you could have done something else you know you could have done something a bit more conventional probably not not as interesting but then you've reached out to a friend who's writing that you like and you've taken it from there it strikes me as you're not thinking of career-wise like oh i've got to do this because then it'll benefit this it's more just it comes from a totally a creative place of well I really like this writing and I've got this film and why don't we do it? Yeah, I think it's definitely just on a whim. I, I think I, I don't think strategically enough, really. I think I probably should be a bit more strategic in terms of, oh, I'll do this to get that. Yeah, I just get drawn to things emotionally, really. Yeah, but I think that's great. It's kind of like it's pure and then it, and then it shows in the work as well because you see other people and they're, maybe in a, they're being a bit too strategy-driven or career-driven, and you can kind of see it in the work. I hope so. I try and make the things I make as like personal as I can, in a way. And I like Nick as well. He's just a really lovely guy, great writer, and like you know, I know that part of the world. And we did for a while try and develop a feature film together, which is still on the back burner. And also, like in the last year, we've been developing a doc about the Coral growing up, their sort of childhood years, like leading up to their first album. That could be really great. So we've been working on that. We're just waiting for a few people to come on board. We're in that process now of, of that inter- terminal wait for things to be signed off and approved and green lit and all that stuff and whose whose idea was that was that you go into them 
or did they say, oh, you know, it'd be cool if you could do a film? I got a call from James Skelly a while ago now, just saying that, oh, you know, our island's going to be 20 years old at some point. We should do something about, you know, that to commemorate the, the first album. And, and would I be interested in in doing something? And then I've, it, it just developed from there. So I just came up with this sort of angle for it. Hopefully that'll, that'll happen soon. Because it's, uh, it's a good story. They're an interesting band and, um, and I know that, you know, yeah, that story in that part of the world and that band really well. So yeah, it'd be great to get the opportunity to do that. Yeah, I'm well excited for it, and I know I've got a couple of friends who are massive Coral fans, and they'll be they'll be on it straight away. Um, oh, great! Yeah, well, that's uh, at least we've got well, we've got three viewers then. Yeah, yeah. So, so there we go. It's a start. Well. It's a start. It's a start. I know you were saying before you want to get into the, the narrative stuff and the longer form stuff. Yeah. Is there is there sort of I know you were saying as well before. You, you should really think more strategy. Are you thinking about the next short film or is it solely yeah, sort of... Yeah, well, I'm doing something at the moment which is about a guy, it's, about, it's called What I Think About When I Dialyze and it's about a guy who, uh, a really great guy, a friend of mine who dialyzes, he's on a kidney dialysis machine and he has to dialyze for two hours every day. He's got a great mind and it's, it's, it's kind of going on a journey of his thoughts really while he sits in this small room having his blood cleaned right, and wow. um, in the ancient world now like the heart is sort of like seen as a sort of emotional center isn't it you know uh, in the ancient world it was the it was the kidneys that were like the kind of the key to the key to the soul so i like the idea of him sort of opening up whilst having his kidneys flushed is that a short doc and then with kind of flourishes of fictional or... yeah exactly it's a sort of magic realist documentary really it has these tangents that sometimes are quite like daydreams. It's a guy that's having all these, you know, it's it's a kind of stream of consciousness. I've only got two more questions. Hopefully yeah. one, hopefully this one isn't too negative. Looking back on your career now, is, yeah. is there anything that you would have done differently? Not really. I mean, it's hard to say really because like, no, I don't think so because... I've managed to work in this profession pretty much ever since I decided to take the risk, give or take a few months here and there working in a pizza restaurant. I've managed to somehow like stay afloat and do it a long time and I've not had those sort of like leg ups along the way really. It's sort of worked away. I, I, yeah, I, I, I think I've learned through the process and I think... I'm I'm happy for that. I feel I feel comfortable with that, and it's allowed me to kind of still be more like yeah, making the stuff that I want to make. I think I think that I think like I could have gone down a career path, maybe you know, but I don't know, you know, maybe be be a little bit more of a oh, I could be a commercial director or a whatnot, having you know a bit quicker down that line, maybe doing that. And it's hard to say. I'm, I'm I'm neither I'm neither I'm happy enough with what with where I am. I'm still ambitious. I want to do like lots of stuff that I haven't done, and you know I don't want to be doing music videos forever. Yeah, I think that's kind of what's unique about you and what I actually find enviable, in that you're probably one of the most content, sort of happy most filmmakers. I know this is a huge generalization, but I'm but I'm included in this. I feel a level of sort of anxiety or a bitterness or a kind of like a oh, I wish I was doing this and it almost like the world's against me or whatever. And I don't think that personally, but what you've just said then is kind of that's how I think of you already of kind of just you you are happy and you and you're doing your work and that it doesn't feel like a, a a time is running out that a lot of other filmmakers and artists have. 
Well, you see, that's 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 all uh, a, a nonsense, that isn't it? The idea of time sort of slipping away. It was Ingmar Bergman's seventieth birthday, and Kurosawa sent him a print of this like Japanese painter, and along with the print, there was a letter, and in the letter, it said this painter only started making great work when he when he got to eighty-five years old. His work up to that point was fine, but a little bit mediocre. But you know, um, he, he got to this point in his life, and he had this this sudden like rebirth. When I've been thinking of my career, that I'm not quite ready yet to sort of make that thing, you know, make that big feature, or there's sort of something in my life that's sort of, you know, I, I've always had a sense of I'm still learning, you know, I'm still like picking up the knowledge of who I am and where I am, and what it is that I want to say. Yeah. I feel I've always felt like that. Some people like kind of find out what they want to say by making stuff. <laughs> and that's probably the better, the better way to go about doing it. You know, at some point I'd like, <laughs> I need to stop waiting around and get out there and make that film. No, I, I can, I can totally relate to that because, you know, especially when you have people around you that are sort of telling you what you should be doing and you kind of then you're sort of pushing them back and going no no don't worry you know i'm just taking my time and i'm getting better and i'm going to do this and and then suddenly you know life obviously gets in the way or life has different plans and so and then you suddenly think right well i do need to do something whereas you you always come across to me as like you've taken a class in zen buddhism or and i think that goes back to what you were saying earlier as well when you say you're not a dogmatic director and you're just i, I sense that on set as well you kind of you go with you go with the flow but you know you, you have a very firm idea of what the plan is i certainly wouldn't describe myself as a zen <laughs> character i think uh, anyone that would like live with me for too long would firmly disagree with that but um no i think i think what uh, what it is about a set is that i think it's like there's loads of different ways to get performances out of people both like in front of and behind the camera and that and i guess like with me i learned out very early on in my life that i was not particularly great at sports or anything like that but i could probably make people laugh or or whatnot and um so i think that probably like overlaps a little bit in in terms of like the filming side of things because i think sometimes i have to put people at ease they probably think oh well at least i'm not the biggest idiot in the room sometimes and i don't mind that you know especially when i get a performance out of somebody that might be a bit nervous or insecure if if like you know just have a look at me and realize that there is a sort of there is a level above me that's that's after in the room, then that can help. I yeah. think I've sort of been a bit aware of that, really. Not, I don't mean like I'm running around like a bloody clown or an yeah. idiot, but I just think that it's like not losing a sense of yourself or putting on this act of a big director doing this and that thing. I just always try and kind of be myself, really. Yeah. And uh, that's the only sort of thing that I've, I've kind of ha- have a, as a thing <laughs> that I do, and that's about it, really. I think it's important, though, isn't it? And it's rare because quite a lot of people are sort of fake it till you make it and that can be really off-putting but i guess so yeah there's a lot of that but then again i, I think i don't i don't I'm not, i don't really mind that either i think there's a million different ways to get to the same point there's infinite different, different ways to get to the same point the last question and i know it's a, a textbook last question but i think it's really important for anyone listening and i know it's such a difficult question to answer but if you were to give advice to someone who had maybe made those 10 videos or less, say five videos or short films like you you had back in the day, 
what do you think they should be doing? Obviously, besides making more, what sort of things would you say to to filmmakers listening? Yeah, I think the key thing for me was I built relationships with bands early on. So if it was music videos and that, then you can approach somebody who's on a sort of similar level to you that you're really into, uh, that might not have a big budget, but they've got something in them that really inspires you and you can kind of get that little relationship going and just start out together with that i think it's really great advice and i think the tricky thing is it sounds so simple and obvious but even even that thing about making relationships and connecting with people it's something that i'm struggling to do and i've been trying to make inroads for you know best part of sort of 10 years i mean i've been making stuff properly for maybe four or five years but even making that piece of work that, that you then send out to 50 people like people don't do it so it, it sounds like such cliched obvious advice as well you need to get out there off your ass and you need to make some stuff but then going that extra mile or it's not even a mile but going that extra piece of action which is attaching it in an email and emailing it out to people people don't really do that well not everyone does that mm. and i think because that's kind of, I feel like that's what I'm missing to a certain extent. Just and what quite a lot of people are missing is just that those two or three people that can really make a difference on your career. Mm. Well, how old are you, Harry? If you don't mind me asking, you don't have to put this in. No, I'm I'm 32. You're 32, yeah. I mean, so when I was 32, 30, I was living in Germany then, you know, and I, my career had to sort of start from scratch pretty much because I was just started out directing but under my own steam when I went over there and like you know I had a I, yeah I had a reel of work that I'd taken with me you know uh, I got signed to a production company in Germany and all that stuff but you know um it was I and mean, I would have been like 31 32 and if I'd have like been at that age and then like look back and if I had had the sort of show reel that you've got um then I'd have been pretty happy, really. Because I think what you've got, you've always got to, yeah, be, be, be careful not to look at other people too much and think, oh, what they Why are they going? You know, you're, you're doing great stuff, man. And you, you, your work's fantastic. You've got a, a real singular voice and um, a take on take on the world and existence that's like, you know, fun, valuable and, and unique. And, and you're getting out there and you're doing it. Not only are you making your films and, and whatnot you're doing a podcast and speaking to um uninspirational doofuses like myself <laughs> no, not at all. That might be, i think that's your that's the only uh career uh slip up you make at the moment people... i reckon you, you're doing good i think the thing is you just gotta like you always have people telling you what you should do and you should do this you should do that and and by all means you know take take that advice but ultimately you do find your own way and that's the key thing it's down to attitude as much as anything it's just this sort of like will to put your neck on the line and, and put yourself out there yeah and and, and like it takes something that I think that's really important. It's just to if you really, really, really want to do it, then just you know go ahead and make it. Getting noticed is a totally different thing. I'm you know I hate all this gatekeeper stuff. It's it, it's really, really, really frustrating. A lot of what happened to me was was luck with Alan Wills coming around. And, yeah. But we put ourselves in we put ourselves in a position where we could get lucky. Yeah, you know, and absolutely. we were in a small town where that happened, and you, you know, that's that's the key thing. It's just sort of like you know, there, there's a bit of luck along the way. That's really solid advice. I need to just do a goodbye, basically. I just need to do a, a an awkward thanks, James, for yeah. take, taking and then your I time can out. It. I can caveat it. Yeah. Or maybe this is just it. Yeah. And we can just we can just say thanks, 
thanks James for coming on it's always great talking to you and I love your work can't wait to see what you do next great well thanks you're more than kind um, it's been lovely chatting to you and um, yeah edit the hell out of this beast <laughs> <laughs>